Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files. for a conversation with Bill Burns. Uh, Bill Burns is a New York Times bestselling author of many books, including The Day After Roswell. He has been the publisher of UFO Magazine and the editor of the UFO Encyclopedia, and he has many other claims to fame as well. Technically, he's Dr. Bill Burns, but he's very accomplished in many different areas and one of the best writers around and one of my favorite guests. Bill, it's been way too long. Thanks for joining me on the radio again. Oh, my pleasure. How have you been? Great, Bill. Great. One of the stories uh, that has been on my list to bring up with you has been the Pentagon UFO chief, Sean Kirkpatrick, director of the Pentagon's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, writing in a research report that an artificial interstellar object could potentially be a parent craft that releases many small probes during its close passage to Earth. So essentially you have a senior Pentagon official saying that an alien mothership could be in our solar system. What was your take on what Sean Kirkpatrick had to say on this front, Bill? I believe that Kirkpatrick was prepping us for a major announcement. I mean, what I think is that this administration, whatever you think of it, has made a decision, and I think it was a decision made during the Obama administration, quite frankly, but they've made a decision that they're going to drip, 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 dribble out to get us to accept the fact that we're not alone in this universe. I mean, I, I think that's the, that's the big thing, that it's not as though they're saying, oh, flying saucers are landing like um, this is um, right, invasion of the Earth, yeah. right? But what they're saying is that there are probes, and they're coming from um, a mothership that's at the very edge of our solar system. So uh, it's keeping tracks on us, but at the same time has the ability to send probes to do specific things. And, and I think that this is a, a robotic probes, right? Not people, robotic probes. And I think this is a way for the administration, and I think it's a major decision that they're going to disclose this and they're going to disclose it gradually so that 
psychologically and socially, we accept this fact that we're not alone. Do you think this this rather revealing, pretty bombshell report from Sean Kirkpatrick, do you think this comes directly from Biden? Um, I think, uh, uh, my speculation is this, that Joe Biden and um, Senator Harry Reid were both friends in the Senate for, I mean, decades, right? I mean, Joe Biden's been around since the 70s. Harry Reid's been around since then. Uh, And Harry Reid's state houses Area 51. When, after the Betty and Barney Hill story, right? And that's 1961. President Kennedy was so exorcised by two people claiming to be abducted by aliens on the cover of Look magazine, on the magazine cover. And I think that Kennedy, that was one of the reasons Kennedy says we have to go to the moon by the end of the decade. That was one of the reasons. And Kennedy did his own little investigation and he was so excited about Area 51 that he, you know, he had an affair with Marilyn Monroe for years, that he and told Marilyn Monroe privately in Pillow Talk that there is an Area 51, that things, and folks can read that whole uh, a memo, I'll tell you how they can read it, um, that there is an Area 51 where objects from outer space have fallen down and there are little people from outer space living at Area 51. Marilyn Monroe said this when she called Bobby Kennedy at the Justice Department. I mean, how much does RFK Jr. know? When she called Bobby Kennedy at the Justice Department and said she was going to go public with this and blow the whistle on JFK, who told her all this story. And that's one reason why she was killed. But the point is, President Kennedy was so excited about this that he shot his mouth off about our nation's deepest secret winds up getting himself killed, winds up getting Marilyn Monroe killed, but that's one reason we were going to the moon. And quite frankly, given all this turmoil about the presence of extraterrestrials, flying saucers, are they here, not here, what do they want? I think that Harry Reid, knowing what he knows, because we knew we had a live alien at Area 51. He knew that. Um, that he purposely pushed his friend Joe Biden to do whatever he could to release the information. And the first uh, videos, modern videos, were coming out from the Obama administration back in 2011, remember? It's, 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 he's still in office. We're seeing flying saucers over the Pacific Fleet off San Diego. Well, those were, So I think there's a concentrated... Were those the images here. that came out in the, in the Times on the front page? Because that wasn't until 20, 2017, right? No, no, no. This was this was uh, this was 2011. There were um, images. This this was on the New York Times front page. These were released because people in the UFO community were seeing these I videos. See. I got it. And, okay. Gotcha. And and were blown away by the fact. I mean, and I still say this: if there is a craft you can't identify, with no wings, no jet engine, no balloon, nothing in the shape of a TikTok hovering over the water and the F-18 Navy Hornets can't get a radar lock on it, you got a problem. And they're laughing about this? 
the pilots are laughing about mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now What's it's so funny. No, I, I agreed. So you think this is all just to close the chapter on what Kirkpatrick said? This is all just another attempt by the government to open the Overton window a little bit more to the public accepting that the reactions, the relations that uh, or the visitations that uh, ETs have made to our planet is much more prevalent than we've heretofore known. The answer is yes, but I think it even goes deeper than that. I think and this is, again, speculation, Frank. This is not sure. Um, I'm not a climate scientist, but my thinking is this, that this planet is in for uh, some terrible experiences. I mean, the glaciers are melting. We know that. That isn't, you know, you don't need some senator to tell you that. We know that. We know that the seasons are changing. We know that there are a number of things, and we have overbuilt. Let's just talk about um, our, our own cities. We've overbuilt to the point where we are in uh, building on land that's very vulnerable. So the amount of money we're going to have to spend, and I mean serious, serious billions, we're going to have to spend on mitigating climate damage. And I think that the, uh, the planet is on the edge, and I think that um, the, the, uh, the reason there's a craft circling at the edges of our solar system or, or that these aren't little green men with three eyes, they're us. Maybe a different shape, but they're us. They're humans. And they want to save this planet because they're the ones that first came here. And so I think that we are being prepped for understanding, A, we're not alone in the universe, B, we're part of a larger community, and that community is here to save this planet, or at least save us on this planet. We, you um, have, in our conversations over the last couple of years, have said a great deal about the possibility that um, a virus could have been sent here, or maybe several times throughout the history of this planet, to create or destroy new generations of of living beings. Uh, just b- before I ask you about uh, this fascinating op-ed in the um, New York Times Magazine over the weekend, just clarify that point a little bit for folks and uh, clean up what I just said a little bit so it makes sense in their brains as, as good context for this next story that I'm going to ask you about. Okay. At this present day, our society, America, China, Russia, India, Iran, you name it, we are sending robotic craft to the moon and to Mars. China is having a helicopter on a helicopter on Mars. They're going to bring back material from Mars, see if there's um, DNA in it. We're doing that. If we're doing that now with our technology, consider our colonial overlords, human beings from another part of the universe. Um, instead of landing on this planet and um, every single day where they're here, but they're sending biological robot crafts. That's what they're sending. And so the, the biology is, is in the virus. 
There is an um, agricultural scientist uh, by the name of Paul Stamets. He's the mushroom guy. And he believed, he's the guy who said that the largest life form on planet Earth is a mushroom mm. that is, that is um, underground, mycelium underground, that covers most of the state of Washington. His theory is that if an advanced alien culture, us from another part of the universe, wanted to transform life on this planet and transform our species, how they would do it would be to send specific viruses into plants, knowing that animals and um, prehistoric humans, Neanderthals, or even earlier than Neanderthals, hominids, would eat these plants, mushrooms, let's say, for example, and they would eat these plants, ingest the viruses, and the viruses would affect their RNA, the messenger RNA, and stimulate evolution in the direction that these creatures wanted. So that's how I think they are terraforming life on distant planets. Mm. So let's just say that this mothership, because they're trying to explain strange comets, this mothership releases things that look like comets, rocks. They're covered with water. In the water, there's DNA. And as they pass by certain planets, they may land on the planets, they're spinning, that DNA goes into that planet's ocean or, under, or um, under the surface ocean, and sure enough, it's starting life. That's what happened on planet Earth. And so I think there's a constant formation of life going on as this civilization, us, maybe billions of years old, is trying to terraform other planets, gradually occupying the solar system. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. Wow. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with New York Times bestselling author Bill Burns. Bill, you were one of the first people I spoke to when I read this column in the New York Times magazine over the weekend by Mark O'Connell, uh, who is an author, but a, a really interesting guy. And I'm actually, I put him on my list of people to invite on this show based on this essay. But basically, the headline is, our way of life is poisoning us. And what O'Connell says, and I'm very interested in this as I'm drinking from a, a plastic water bottle right now, he says there's plastic in our bodies, it's in our lungs, it's in our bowels, and in the blood that pulses through it. We can't see it and we can't feel it, but it's there. It's there in the water we drink, the food we eat, even in the air that we breathe. Um, how big of a deal is the fact that we are being exposed to so much plastic and what do you think the ramifications of this might be, particularly given what you just brought to our attention? If I think it's real, I mean, uh, uh, the fact that there, do you know that in human female in placentas, right? Among human females, there are nano 
shards of plastic in human placentas. They're in umbilical cords. They're in babies. That the diaper services figured out that in the diapers, there are microplastics. So they're in babies. So what if part of the theory, I'm not saying it's true. Well, I believe it's true. What if part of the theory is this? Given the fact that the climate around us is changing so drastically, given the fact that um, what we take for granted about the, uh, the cycles of this planet are changing, what if this is not an accident, but plastics were introduced to this planet, uh, polymers introduced to this planet, and they're taking over in such a way that the human race, I know this is a tough nut to swallow, that the human race is being siliconized. We're becoming silicon creatures, blending our carbon footprint, blending our carbon cells and our and silicon into one creature to better withstand, to withstand better the climate change and the forces that are acting on this planet. In other words, we're becoming plastic. That is absolutely incredible. Just, I mean, even if it's not true, it's an incredible thing to ponder. So, I mean, people might ask about the situation of how plastic would be introduced by an alien intelligence of some of some sort of another. But when we think about it, there really wasn't plastic on this planet pre Roswell crash, was there? Exactly. That's the whole point. What there was was in the 1930s, the film industry developed celluloid acetate, which is basic uh, 1940s film stock. And so some people have said that it was celluloid acetate on the, on the object that crashed in Roswell, and so it was an earthly craft. But the point is, the people, we spoke to one of the people, in fact, folks could see it on the internet if they want to go to UFO Hunters. We spoke to one of the people who was there in July 1947 in the debris field. He was an Army sergeant. He was a truck driver, truck maintenance guy. And he said that the soldiers that were doing the collecting on the debris field outside of Roswell were so amazed at what they saw, they were picking up these pieces of, of what they thought was metal, crushing it in their hands, letting it go, and it popped into its original shape. And they had to stick it. He said the funny thing was they were all carrying these big gunny sacks around them, and he said they couldn't stuff the metal into the gunny sacks because every time they released it from their hands, it would expand. And the MPs around the whole debris field were... were actually doubling over laughing, seeing these maintenance guys try to handle this metal. And a few of the people tried to take pieces of this metal and keep it, and they were arrested. So there was an introduction of technology to this planet. And when you look at what happened in the days after Roswell, um, AT&T suddenly pops up with a transistor. After 10 years of trying to find one, suddenly after the crash at Roswell, they pop up with a transistor. We are being seeded, just like we're soil. We're being, our planet is being seeded 
We've been seeded for 3.5 billion years. And I think that very gradually over the next century, because by the end of this century, Frank, I mean, I'm thinking about my grandchildren now. By at least the 2070s, according to plant virologists and according to um, people who study the soil, agricultural experts, the soil on this planet will not be able to grow crops. Will, people will be eating seaweed or they'll be eating artificial stuff because we've so depleted the soil by, by goosing it up to make more plants, big, farm, um, big agriculture, that we've depleted the soil. So our planet is, this century will be going through some very dramatic changes from the point of view of climate, from the point of view of the ability of the soil to um, be harvested for plants, for food. So I believe we are being prepared as a culture for what's going to happen to us this century. That's uh, absolutely amazing and and pretty frightening, um, especially when you think about it, that every piece of plastic that's ever been manufactured is still right right here on this planet. It hasn't gone anywhere, and we're still using plastic in a ton of things, so it's still very much uh, very much here to stay. Hey, um, you, you alluded to the issue of uh, climate change and uh, what we're seeing at the ice caps and, and so forth. One of the things that certain people have raised as a possibility is climate engineering and broader use of climate engineering. Now, there are some other folks raising some concerns about climate engineering. First, Bill, and we'll talk with Bill Burns. He is a best-selling author of many books, too many to list in one radio program. Explain to folks what we mean when we use the term climate engineering and tell me what you see as the long-term ramifications of climate engineering. Okay. So let's start with one foundational fact that in, I want to say the 1990s, maybe it was the eighties, there is a UN a United Nations protocol. There was an agreement among nations that they would not affect a climate change for the purpose of military advantages. So let's just say that we know that there is a Russian missile base somewhere in Siberia. Okay. And um, it's a base that threatens the West coast of the United States. So what we do is we engineer climate over that part of the country so that it's always snowing, always icy. It makes it impossible to launch a missile. That's basic. And we probably don't have the technology for it, but imagine using climate change, rain, fog, snow, hail. Imagine flooding. Imagine using that for military purposes. So you're altering the environment of another country or area for the purpose of gaining military advantage. Now, let's just say we get to a point technologically. Now, you know we've seeded clouds, right? So there has been cloud seeding. There's a whole theory about um, chemtrails and what is being pumped into our atmosphere. 
Um, let's say um, in an area where there's been no rain, where the sun is beating down, where it's actually baking the ground that people can't even live anymore, that we send planes up, or balloons up, and spread reflective material in the air to reflect the sun's rays back into space. So just to cool down a certain area, that's affecting the weather of an area. Okay, what the U.N. said was that we can't do that. That's the agreement for military purposes. But because you're working with forces actually way beyond your control, things you just don't understand because they're so large. If we start doing climate change and nations use climate change as a weapon against each other, can you imagine the catastrophic effects it would happen on this planet? It would usher in the very things we're afraid of. And how likely do you think it is that we're headed in that direction internationally? We have the technology, Frank. We have, we've seeded clouds. We've, we've done what I explained about um, using chemtrails to reflect sunlight back into space. Um, we can certainly move huge icebergs. Let's say that we needed to, uh, to move a huge iceberg. We could move a huge iceberg and affect the way that climate affects, uh, uh, the way that would affect um, a small area. So I think we have the technology to do it. And I think the only thing that's holding us back besides international protocols, is an, is, is an understanding that once we go there, there's no going back. Wow. Uh, it's really well. Hey, let me get your uh, quick take on, on this. And I realize this probably requires a broader discussion, but there, there's now, this is a headline that I saw yesterday that really made me uh, stand up and, and take note that Researchers are close to engineering babies without sex, and they're apparently about 70% of the way there. Give me your take on this, Bill. It's frightening, right? What? Imagine, well, for, see, I believe, let me see, uh, the broader context is this. I believe there is a human transformation going on, that we are going from where we are now as a species to a different place biologically, um, socially, and psychologically. That's exactly what I believe. That um, <clears throat> I also believe we're not the first civilization on this planet. I think we've talked about that before. Just read the Bible. It's Noah's flood. I believe there was a civilization before that too, and who knows what civilization is coming after us. We've been around for 3.5 billion years. So I mean, let's just say that we are, that this planet is a Petri dish to see if, Life forms from another planet, from another part of the solar system, actually from another part of the, uh, from the galaxy, can, uh, 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 can live on this planet. And so what I think is that as technology advances, we're now getting to a place. That's why it's true. We're 70% of the way there because we've done this with, uh, with animals. I mean, there are a whole bunch of reasons we can't do this with humans, but we've done it with animals. You create life. Instead of the normal fertilization of sperm and egg, you create life by rejuvenating a stem cell, which has all the ingredients for life. You rejuvenate a stem cell. 
Why is that important? When we were at Dulce in New Mexico on the Hickory Apache Reservation, there were all these stories about how aliens had come to this planet and they were hybridizing the human species by, by, by uh, genetically intermixing us with animals. What if that's only partially true? Wow. What if, what if Big Pharma, imagine this, Frank, imagine this as, as, as a medical advancement. Big Pharma is able to use live animals, live animal sperm and live animal eggs, live animal DNA to create organs for people. We know that there are things like pig hearts. We know there are things like uh, artificial kidneys grown from stem cells. What if this becomes a universal thing? It is the next phase. It is the next phase, I think, in big pharma. This organ replacement and engineering through stem cells, it would be a way. Because look at, okay, look at some of the statistics. Fertility has been falling for the past two decades. The population of this planet, which was growing up to up to 10 million, has suddenly in some areas of this planet in a precipitous decline. The United States is one of those countries. So what if in order to keep this planet populated, to keep the human race alive, we suddenly changed and were able to engineer stem cells, human stem cells to clone new human beings, no sex. No fertilization, just existing cells. Can you imagine the business of doing that? Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, uh, it is stunning uh, to think about. Uh, I, uh, on that note, that's probably as good of a note as any to end it. Bill Burns, it's always a treat to, to talk with you. You always give us a great deal to think about. I look forward to uh, talking again soon. Thank you, Frank. Have a wonderful night. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're certainly welcome to 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. midnight.